Welcome once again to the Family Stories Podcast. I'm with Stephen Bransford. We just did a podcast with him, and it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, Stephen is back, and we're just going to pick up right where we left off. And that was when Stephen was talking about self-discovery. So, Stephen, let's go. Are you ready? I think so. You know, we were talking in the last session about about self-discovery, and and I talked about selfishness, self-centeredness, and you talk, use the word narcissism. That's the accusation you typically get because everybody is afraid of this territory. Most people are afraid to discover themselves, either as a human being or if you're a believer in Christ, there's a whole nother tremendous dimension of discovery called who are you in Christ? And that's so real to me today. But before I got I got there, or before I could get there, I spent a number of years discovering who Stephen Bransford was as a human being. Where did my emotions fit? Where did my reasoning fit? Where did my talents fit? What did I have? What did I not have? I had to turn away from certain things in order to pursue the things that were going to bear good fruit in my life. And writing was the main focus. It started when I was 16 in high school. It it guided me in and through college. Uh, And then um, as I I crashed and burned while I was in Arizona State, but I, you know, I graduated with honors there and was able to uh, get an English degree that allowed me to say, all right, I'm going to start being a professional writer. And I'd never been paid to write anything in my life there. The self-discovery I did at that point is I had a, I had a dream, a vision. From the time I was 16, I wanted to write that great American novel. And, and in my thinking, I remember my teacher saying, this is great American literature. He said that. And I said, I want to someday be able to say, I wrote great American literature about a preacher who is the real thing, not an Elmer Gantry. That was Sinclair Lewis. It was a best-selling, huge best-selling novel. It became an Academy Award-winning movie starring Burt Lancaster. Everybody loved the scandal on a preacher. I mean, remember the scandals of Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger? Oh, back yeah, then. we all know about those. Those scandals hit the headlines and were like, I mean, it was fuel for people for months and months. It was just sick. Anyway, uh, there's an obsession with that. Well, I want to take that obsession and turn it on its head in a novel. So as I be- graduated and I had never been published, never been paid to write anything in my life, I had to do some self-discovery. But the way it happened, as I tell the story, I was living on the poor side of town. There was no grass in the yard. The house paint was peeling. I was in a home that a friend of mine who was a multi-multi-millionaire, he owned several businesses, a bank, all kinds of things in Chandler, Arizona. He liked me. We met at church. And I told him I was going to be a writer. They they liked me enough. They wanted me to join their companies. I said, I don't fit. I cannot fit in construction. I'm horrid. I tried various odd well, jobs. Plus, I know them. you well enough to know that you would never focus on it. 
Your mind would be someplace else. My mind was somewhere else. You ended up cutting your fingers off on the saw. I actually, he got me, my friend got me a job with another friend who had a dairy. And I was was driving 40 tons of wet alfalfa in a trailer to feed out to the dairy cattle, right? I was driving along and my mind wandered. I can imagine. (laughs) I I, I, I couldn't stay on task. And my tractor wandered just off of the edge of the little farm road that I was on. And the dual wheels on my 40 tons of wet green alfalfa sank into an irrigated field up to the axle. Kaboom. Were you you in trouble? The owner came by. He gave me a pitchfork. (laughs) And he drove another trailer up beside my trailer. And he said, one Fork at a time. <laughs> I love it. Forty tons, forty tons of wet alfalfa just cut out of the field. I pitched, and it ruined. By the time I got it done, the sun was at one hundred and ten degrees. It was cooking that alfalfa instead of feeding it. It became stinky silage. It rotted. <laughs> I honestly can't. When I got back, he had given me a house on his property. When I got back, he said, your history. Goodbye. (laughs) So this story was famous with my friends, right? They were all wealthy. They would invite me to their pool parties, and I had nothing. I I was nobody. (laughs) But they loved me. And so what I... I told them. We'll see your storytelling ability. That was it. It was just storytelling. I had actually done, I had played Judas in a play. And I actually made Judas sympathetic, a sympathetic character (laughs) at an Easter play at church. They loved me for it. All right. So it was storytelling. But here I am now trying to become paid for something. And I was, I had no prospects. So what I did was. Uh, I decided I'm going to write that great American novel. I, I had a selectric typewriter with the little cartridges that went in and out. This was 1975. It was big time. You were on the edge of technology. Oh, yeah. I was cutting edge, right? Colored ink in my cartridges, too, you know. So I had no furniture. I couldn't afford to pay rent. My My slumlord friend would tell me, all right, scrape the paint on the north side of the house, and we'll call it rent. So I would do little odd jobs to stay in his home. I couldn't make my car payments. Some of my buddies, would, the bank went down the road with me. The bank says, all right, we'll forgive. We'll put that payment on the end of your contract. Just pay the interest is this, this month. Uh, is this what you were discovering when you said self-discovery? Yes, this is self-discovery, <laughs> all right? So I was measuring the fact that I had not been paid as a writer and I had to be paid as a writer now. And I had humiliated myself trying to do other things. I put my selectric typewriter in an empty bedroom because that's all there was. We didn't even have a bed. Uh, my wife and I slept on a mattress on the floor. My son had a beanbag chair. That was the only furniture. And that was sat, we sat that in front of the Sony color little miniature Sony color TV set. My son's a 40 year old businessman in Seattle. He still has that little Sony. It's very, a lot of affection. Mr. Rogers, neighborhood, the Sesame Street Electric Company. Anyway, that's how he grew up. I had to become a writer. 
So I set my Selectric typewriter in this empty bedroom, and I went to the window, and I put my speakers in the window, and I started playing Blood, Sweat, and Tears and Chicago uh, albums, and I went out and washed my car that I couldn't make payments on. And I washed it dreaming of the novel I'm going to write. So sometimes when I do something physical like that, just mindless, my mind and imagination takes over and a story begins to form. And I started forming this great American novel. Now, see, when I do that, I can't remember where I put my cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. And, know, those and, things happen. Now, what did I just do with that? Why did I come into this room? <laughs> I've done that driving down the road. Why am I in the other side of Phoenix when I was headed for Chandler? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Anyway, well, it was a, it was the creation the, of a story. That's right. It was a creation of a story. It was something going crazy, and and so I I washed the car, and by the time I got around it the second time, I had to do some self discovery, and the self discovery was this: I am so far from being a novelist, it is not even thinkable today. <laughs> what can I actually do today? And maybe get paid for as a writer. That was it. That was the beginning. When I finally came to face that about myself, I put my dream off and I said, I'm not going to ask anybody to support me as a novelist because I can't do that. But I am going to ask my friends to help me become a copywriter in an ad agency. I will write spec 30 second commercials right now for Clients I know exist in the Phoenix market. I was in the area of Phoenix, Arizona, living in Chandler. All right, so I, I began to write scripts. I keep these scripts to this very day. And I took on the Salt River Project. That was a utilities company in Phoenix. And I came up with just some marvelous concepts, and I just unloaded everything. I I got all of those done, and now I've, I've discovered uh, that part of myself. You know, Stephen, one thing that you've said that's really, really important, and I talked about this on a few podcasts in the past, that's your destiny and your vision. Sometimes you can become so focused on the long-term vision, and the path to that vision is never what you think or imagine it's going to be. You can get so focused on that, on such tunnel vision, that your life falls apart on the outside. You literally become paralyzed, okay? And I was in that danger zone. And I saw it. And I said, all right, kick yourself in the butt, man. You're going to have to do something. What's the next step? What is reasonable? What you're saying right now, this is a big deal. And people need to know this, especially young people. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And so I got in there, and 10 hours a day, I would type up 30-second commercial scripts with the visual down one side, the audio down the other side, time them with a stopwatch on the second-by-second scene unfolding for 30 seconds. And I did these scripts. And when I got about a half a dozen of them finished, I went in, I put on a a sports jacket and a tie, the only one I had. And I called the top agency in Phoenix, Jennings and Thompson. And then I called Bozell and Jacobs, top ad agencies in Phoenix, Arizona. And I said, I'd like to work for you as a copywriter I have some samples of my work. Could I come and, and, and present it? And they would make appointments with the creative director. The very first one, Jennings and Thompson. I go, I'll never forget, Penthouse Suite. 
I can't make rent. I don't have any furniture. <laughs> I have no prospects. And here I am faking it again, right? Going up. But I have at least these scripts I've written. I go in. I present them to the, uh, the, the creative director of the agency. He, he gave me an appointment. I sat across his big old desk. I, get, I said, here's, here's what I have done. He starts reading. And it became very, very silent in that room. But I knew that I must not be the one to break that silence. It, By the way, I've, I've done sales all my life. That's one of the key things in sales. There's a time to shut up and then just keep your mouth closed. Man, I I did. The interesting thing was I didn't get a job that day. I did not. At the end of reading my scripts, which seemed to take forever, he looked at me, put my scripts together and gave them back to me. And he said, young man, you're very creative. But And that's when I began to discover something about myself. I always thought I was creative. I knew I was creative. I had the power. Remember, I knew I had power to touch an audience because I'd had that experience sure. with, with that first song. And he says to me, but, and I immediately knew something, that being talented is like being good looking. It might open a door, but it will never close a deal. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> so I... I faced that about myself, and I said, sir, he said, you're very creative, but you don't know what you're doing. You don't understand. This is the phrase that changed my life. You don't understand the marketplace discipline. And I said, you're right. What is that? <laughs> you had no idea what that meant. I had no idea. He explained to me how... You don't get creative first. That's the last thing. The first thing you do is establish the target. Who is the audience? And so as I began to study an audience, and then he said the other thing is you study the client. You need to know their history, their story. What is the story of the Salt River Project? You created a new one. Guess what? That's not their story. You need to learn the true story. And you need to learn how it relates to the clientele they've already cultivated. Who are they? And how do they feel? And what do they think? And if you want to be paid as a copywriter, you've got to learn the marketplace discipline, connecting the client and his audience in a meaningful and a powerful way. Well, I kept thinking back to that. I did that once. I did that in a room. For, for those of you who are listening to this, this is gold, what you're hearing right now on storytelling. This is, this is absolute 24-karat gold, so pay attention. <laughs> well, there, that's the self-discovery that I learned through those years of crash and burn and putting my emotions where they belong and becoming a human being. And now I'm, I'm on a precipice. And I'm a husband and a father. I cannot make rent. I cannot make my car payments. I'm falling behind on every bill. And I go to my friends and I said, I have a plan. I am writing these scripts and I am peddling them around town. And you know, there are people who want to help you. Now, what do you mean? There's people. If you are realistic and you're not putting that dream in front of them, 
that vision of being a great novelist. But you tell them, my next step looks like this. What do you think? Men who are successful like you and others who, who know what it takes, they go, well, we're here to help. How can we help? And my friends literally helped me become a, a writer and eventually within a year received my first full-time writing job with the PTL Television Network in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had to leave them all behind. You mean to tell me there are no self-made men? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've heard people say that. Yeah. And some young people say that. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. We all need, we all need but we need to cultivate the right group. There are people who will, in a circle, you can be in a circle of influence that will literally sink your ship, discourage you, dissuade you, not support you, who you really are. But you need to present who you really are, not some fake image. You need to say, hey, this is the real me. This is the real direction. And here's the next step. Would you like to help me get there? And you'll be amazed at the people who want to do that. You know, that's why I like to say at the beginning of the podcast, these are real people telling real stories without the filters of pride and pretense. If you want to have those two things going on, I'm not interested in talking to you. I want to get to the nitty gritty, the real thing where people are really living and help them. Now let me talk about self-discovery in a grand scale. Okay. All right. When I was a child, and at eight years old, I had that experience. I received Christ uh, in my heart as a, in a prayer with my father as a five-year-old. As an eight-year-old, I received this incredible, what they call baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was the real thing. I was way immature and unable to handle it, but it changed my life forever. To this day, I am discovering what that baby in the barbed wire is. It's no longer a baby. It's Christ. It's him on the throne beside the Father in heaven. And I am told by the Apostle Paul, my life, my life, not my death, not my mistakes, not my, not my suffering, my life is hidden with Christ in God. You want self-discovery? Here we go. That is lifelong. That is what my life has become all about today. Okay, this is more mature. I have been through a career. I have all the things you cited. I've worked for all these ministries. I've written all these books. I've been published in all these ways. I am not trying to do that anymore. I am 71 years old, and I'm just beginning a new chapter in my life. I know the feeling. A new chapter. And this new chapter is not about those big things and dreams. And I wanted to go to Hollywood. I wanted to make movies. And uh, hey, I did it. Let me just say this, because I can't not say this. I eventually wrote that great American novel. After I had become a professional, after I had established myself for a number of years, I went through a process, and I tell about it in this book. You've got a story, and it's better than you think. The process now of turning my story into something publishable. And, and, and probably uh, one of the more important elements of self-discovery is this. They're, the bigger story of who you are is not a story you're going to tell. It's not a story you're going to publish. 
It's really personal, and you're still discovering it. It's who you are in Christ. And every day I discover more of that. And it goes together with who I am as a in my body, in my soul, renewing my mind and trying to be, you know, grasp the truth of who I am in Christ. It's not easy. It's not natural. Yeah, it's a revelation. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit must help you do that. And so I seek him. That process, though, yields life. And I'm pursuing that in this chapter of my life, saying, okay, how can I be valuable today? How can you find me an instrument through which you can communicate today? These are not my stories. Ultimately, it's all wrapped up in your story. So this is the process that I'm in today. But uh, getting here has been uh, uh, quite a journey and a lot of ups and downs, things that normal everybody experiences. Uh, but getting them in perspective is is really, really important. And this story that you don't tell, I, I unloaded my story of my crash and burn when I was 31 years old. I spent a year of my life and I believed it would be a great piece of American literature, nonfiction. This is my story. And I wrote it out, and I still have it. I just pulled it out of a, out of a shelf the other day and looked at it. It's a thick manuscript, and I started browsing it again, and I'm grateful to this day that I've never published it. <laughs> Things have changed. Your perspective has changed. Everything has changed. And my perspective on it, you know, it takes it takes time for your personal story to even be something you can share. So I but I had to unload it. And this is what I encourage people to do. Get if if you're not a, even a writer, you don't have to be a writer. Get a recording machine and record if you're verbal. Um just tell your story. Take the sensor out of your, out of your uh, self and unload the true pain, the true disappointment, the true uh, feelings. Then don't neglect the good ones too. The thing that I've discovered, for example, in self-discovery is our present perception of the world is distorted. There is nobody who has a clear vision. Paul said it this way, we see through a darkened glass. Therefore, if you be realistic about that, whatever you find in self-discovery is just a partial discovery. You're never going to get to the end of the rainbow. So self-discovery, though, deepens you as a person and as a writer and as someone who can communicate it um, and if you don't look in yourself, and people are so afraid of that because they're afraid of the bad stuff. They're, they're really afraid of that. Well, it's part of the journey, but it's not the whole journey. The other day, I had a friend visit me. His son had just overdosed up here in um, Denver. And he came after many years. We've known each other since the early 70s. We started in television together. And he came to see me. He asked me if I would drive him up to the funeral home and pick up his son's ashes. He and his wife were going to carry them home. And so I did. I drove him up to pick his son's ashes up. And on the way back, he was on his telephone diddling around. And he said, would you turn off right here, please? And I said, sure. 
I went wherever he went. He, he guided me to a destination, and it was a marijuana store. Now, we have his son's ashes in my truck, and he wants to stop at a marijuana store because they don't sell it in his state on the way home, and he's going to take advantage of being in Colorado. Not only that, he's going to take advantage of me and our lifelong friendship, and he did. He did. And he comes out with all this paraphernalia that I don't know anything about, and I could care less. I, it doesn't re- I don't relate to that. But I did relate to it in this way. He's bringing home a bunch of painkiller, and he is in extreme pain. I look over at him, and I did not intend to say this. I looked at him, and I just waited until he looked at me. And then I said, who are you? And I could see the terror. We've known each other, what, 40 years. I could see the terror in his eyes. And I said, I know what you're thinking. I just asked you who you are. And you think you're a failed father and that your son's ashes sitting in this truck are accusing you of everything you've ever screwed up in your life. And I said, that's not what I mean. Who are you in Christ, my brother? There is a you I don't know. And there is a you you don't know. Who are you? Discover who you really are. It's way better than you think. And I I think I transformed him a little bit that day with those words. He still went home with his marijuana, however. <laughs> you know, he's human. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll take him there, you know. We'll be friends, but not that close. However, what I said to him was what he needed to hear. This isn't about your failures. God does not paint you with the brush of your failures. He paints you with the brush of his son's success overcoming the world, overcoming death, hell, and the grave. This is who you are. Go there. Discover life. And even if your son and your children, who you cannot control, fail terribly and accuse you that somehow you failed, there's a bigger story. And it's way better than you think. And it's your life hidden with Christ in God. You know what? We're going to end this right here. This is too good, Stephen. We're going to let it stay right here. Father, I just pray right now, in Jesus' name, you take this message to the hearts of those who are listening and transform their lives. Their life is in you and in nobody else. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stephen, again, thank you. We've got another podcast. we got to do it. <laughs> this cannot stop right here. All right. We'll, we'll so hang thank, around. Thank all of you for listening, and we're going to talk more about You've Got a Story. It's Better Than You Think, your book. Uh, right now, real quick, before we sign off on this particular podcast, give us your uh, your contact information again, if you would, Stephen. Oh, yes. Um, 
Uh, I do a website called stephenbransford.com. That's spelled the way they spell the martyr, the first martyr in the Bible, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Bransford, B-R-A-N-S-F-O-R-D, stephenbransford.com. And when you get there, you'll see my books there, and there's a little link you can hit, and it'll take you to where you can actually purchase them if you're interested. There you go. This has been Rich Stephen. Thank you so much, sir. 